1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brothers Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarrelling among you, my brothers, What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptise also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptised anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And as Jonathan said earlier on, we're going to be diving into a new eight-week series in the book of 1 Corinthians. So it'd be great if you could grab a Bible and open that back up at chapter 1. That's on page 952 um, in the Bibles, if uh, that saves you a little bit of frantic flicking, trying to find it. Okay, have we got there? I think just about. So let me pray for us. Let me pray. Father God, as we look at these words written by the Apostle Paul so long ago, We pray that you would give us the same burning love which he had for your church so that we would truly seek to live out all of those wonderful hopes for the church which we've just sung about. Be at work in our hearts by your spirit to unite us in your loving purposes. Amen. Well, just imagine that you are involved in starting a new church. That's not so hard for uh, some of you to imagine because you were part of the launch team that uh, we had here to start this church just over two years ago. But let's just say that you help start a church and then you move away to a different church in a different city. And one day some friends uh, from that first church come to visit you. And so you eagerly ask, so how's, how's it going? And heads drop and feet shuffle and 
There's an embarrassed, awkward silence. Uh, so how bad is it, you ask? Very bad. And out it all spills. There's a case of incensed sprung up in the church. And people think that's okay. A good number of men are using prostitutes to supplement their sex lives. And people think that's okay too. Some members of the church are suing one another in the local courts. Others are coming to church meals and they won't share. The rich are just tucking in and stuffing their faces and getting drunk, while others are going hungry. (laughs) And the church meetings, well, they've turned into some kind of talent show where everybody who has a gift insists on taking part. So much so, it's a riot and, and, and people are slowly being scared away. And to top it all, the church is divided into factions with everyone choosing their favorite leader. Sounds a nightmare, right? But everything I've just described comes from reading 1 Corinthians. Now, can you imagine when we started this church, if we'd advertised it like this, we're immoral, we're selfish, we're chaotic, and we're divided. Come and join us. But before we get ahead of ourselves and think, well, at least we're not like that, let me say that all churches are messy because all churches are full of broken Sinful people like you and me. Which is why I think it's going to be really helpful for us to see how the Apostle Paul begins to tackle a problem church like Corinth. I mean, put yourself in his sandals for a minute. How would you handle it? And I think if this was me, I would would start trying to bang heads together. Stop being immoral. Stop being chaotic. Stop being divided. Stop being selfish. But Paul doesn't. He goes deeper because he knows that these things are just the symptoms, whereas underneath is the much, much more serious issue. And it's this, that they have made church all about themselves. And in the process, they have pushed Jesus out of the church. And folks, the church gets messy. The church gets messed up when Jesus gets pushed up. It's like the 10 in a bed philosophy of life. You know the nursery rhyme, don't you? There were 10 in the bed and the little one said, roll over, roll over. So they all rolled over and one fell out. Only in this case, the one that fell out in Corinth was Jesus. (laughs) They've rolled over and Jesus has fallen out of the church because they wanted more room for themselves. And so here's the key, right? What Paul is going to do in this letter, he is going to put Christ right back at the center of the church, where he belongs. He's going to be constantly saying, guys, you've got to look at Jesus. You've got to look at him and really listen to him and and follow him with your lives. You've got yourselves all messed up because you've pushed the message and the mission of Jesus out of your thinking and your affections, out of your bed. And so as Paul starts this letter, he rams it full of Jesus. Did you notice that, the first nine verses? He mentions Jesus 11 times. And here's the first thing that he wants to remind them about Jesus. He says, all that you are is because of Christ. Paul says, that's true of me, verse one. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. That's who I am. I am defined in terms of Jesus. I am his. 
And so are you. Verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. What does that word sanctified mean? That's quite a bible kind of word, isn't it? But what does it mean? Well, it means to set apart. To set apart from one group into another. To set apart for, from one purpose for another. It's like your uh, toothbrush. Every time you buy a toothbrush, you sanctify it. You take it from Lidl's or um, uh, Asda or Waitress, wherever it is that you shop, amongst all the other toothbrushes, and you set it apart in your bathroom. But that's not all you do. You set it apart there for a particular purpose. And I hope, I very much hope, that is for brushing your teeth. Now, you could use it to um, scrub your potatoes or apply your makeup. Or Yeah, that's how you apply makeup, just in case you want to know. There's a top tip for you. Um, or, or getting the dog dirt off your shoes after you've been for a walk in Hodgie Park across there. Um, you could do that, but uh, I hope you don't, because you would never, ever use it. <laughs> well, you never put it in your mouth ever again, would you? No, you set it apart for the particular purpose of cleaning, protecting your teeth. And that alone. And folks, the story of anyone who becomes a Christian is that when they turn to Christ and confess their sin and put their trust in Jesus, God doesn't merely say to them, great, that's you, you're forgiven. Okay, you're good. No, he says, yes, you're forgiven, but now I've got an even bigger plan for you. I have sanctified you. I have set you apart from the world and living that way into my people so that you might live differently for your good and my purposes. Which is why Paul goes on to say again in verse 2, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all, who, all those who call in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we call out to Jesus to save us, then God calls right back at us to make us one of his saints. Literally, God's holy people. So do you see, three times over, Paul gives us the same opening shot. Church at Corinth, church at St. Joseph's, remember who you are in Christ Jesus. You are God's people. I am his, you are his, we belong to him. Now I find that very striking. <laughs> Paul doesn't begin by rubbing the Corinthians' noses in everything they're doing wrong. It begins by reminding them who they are. Satan does it the other way round. Satan begins by rubbing your nose in everything you've done wrong and then telling you, you can't possibly be a Christian after what you've done. Whereas God, through Paul, begins by reminding them who they are. And he goes on to tell them that they can't possibly carry on living as they have been because it's a complete contradiction of who they now are in Christ Jesus. So whenever you feel like a problem Christian, like a failure, whenever you feel that you couldn't possibly be one of God's saints anymore, don't dwell on the failure and let Satan tell you you're not a proper Christian Go back to Jesus. Go back to the foot of the cross 
and let Christ remind you that you are his because he paid for you there in blood to make you acceptable to God. And can also encourage us in our relationships with one another, in our midweek groups, our other Bible study groups, in our one-to-one meetings with one another. We need to follow Paul's lead when we're trying to help our brothers and sisters who are struggling. We can try (laughs) as hard as we like to, to change people's behavior, to sort them out if you like. But true life change only really comes from gently and lovingly leading people back to Christ. You are God's people, says Paul. All that you are is because of Christ. But that's not all he says. Uh, Secondly, he tells the Corinthians, all that you have is because of Christ. Have a look at verse four, will you? I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Now that word grace, it means undeserved gift. And when a Christian sees or hears that word, they instantly start thinking about, well, what I've just been talking about. The amazing, incredible undeserved gift of forgiveness that we have in Jesus because of the cross that makes us a Christian in the first place. But grace is not simply how you get started as a Christian. Grace is also everything that God gives you to help you grow as a Christian. As you see what Paul writes next, verse five, because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, any spiritual gift, literally there. You see, God's grace not only saves us, it enriches us. If you are a Christian, you have been enriched in every way. I had some zookeepers being interviewed on the radio a little while back, and they were talking very proudly about the enrichment program that they had for the lions in the zoo. And this is what they said. They said, we put a toy, a plastic toy, into their enclosure, and we leave it there for two weeks. And then, after two weeks, we take it out again because we do not want them to get bored with it. And so we put in a different toy. Now, as I heard that, I thought to myself, these are magnificent animals. And let's face it, they live in a very small enclosure. I think enrichment is a rather strong term for what you're trying to do there. But when the Bible says that God enriches us in every way, what it means is that God is just so generous to us. He doesn't want his church to be a poor little church who he's given a few little toys to chew on. He doesn't want his people to have some trinkets so that they won't get bored. No, he says, verse 5, in every way, every way, you are enriched in him. So that, verse 7, you are not lacking in any gift. I sometimes think that we reckon that God is a bit mean. But this makes it clear. All that we have, the gifts that we have, the abilities that we have, And even our willingness to use them in the service of God are given to us because of Christ. 
God is going to give us everything that we need in order to go on in him and to grow in him. But hold on, you might say, <laughs> oh, remember at the start, the Corinthians don't really look enriched in every way. They may have been gifted in verse 5, in all speech and in all knowledge, but later on in this letter we'll find that those were two of their problem areas. Their gifts have made them proud. And let's face it, <laughs> that's a temptation for all of us, isn't it? Well, praise God, Paul had the spiritual discernment to look even at the problem areas and still say, yeah, yeah, God is at work here. Yes, there are problems, but these are the problems of life. Better some knowledge of the truth and an attitude that needs sorting rather than no knowledge at all. Better that they had begun to speak about Jesus as Lord in the church and outside it than an unwillingness to speak at all. Better desire to use spiritual gifts than no such desire at all. Paul looked at God's people stepping out in faith to use Christ's grace gifts, albeit imperfectly. And it gave him confidence that God had started a work in them. And what God starts, he finishes. As thirdly, Paul tells the Corinthians, all that you will be is because of Christ. Take a look at what comes next in verse 7. You are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I remember being at home when Lucy, our eldest daughter, took her first steps as a toddler. Big moment in any family's life. So uh, I was in the kitchen and Fiona shouted through, Quick, come, come through. Lucy is walking. And I rushed through just in time to see her um, fall over and face plant into the sofa and just land in a crumpled heap in front of the sofa. It was kind of funny to see, but it wasn't really what um, Fiona called me through to witness. I mean, you don't really get parents of toddlers shouting, quick, come here, come here. They've fallen on their face again. Because the falling over is to be expected, isn't it? The wonder is a single step. Just one single step. And Paul is like that as a spiritual father to this problem church. The sinfulness of the church is to be expected. The wonder is that God is at work. The wonder is the signs of grace, not the many, many faults that you can spot. And we are therefore to dwell primarily on those signs of grace in ourselves, in our small groups and areas of ministry, in our wives and husbands and our children, our families. Dwell on the signs that God is at work, not on the fallings and the failings. Take the sinfulness of our fellow church members as red, like our own. That's to be expected. When others let you down or they fail you, don't let that embitter you towards them or, 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 or make you write them off. Because in the end, the church is really God's building site into which he takes the raw materials of sinners and starts to get to work on them. 
And those of us who live across at the rise can tell you firsthand that building sites are messy places. Unfinished, untidy, and disappointing to look at. Not really places you want to live next to, let alone in. And so sometimes you'll feel you've had enough of this church and you want to leave and go to another one. But the next one you try will only be a building site too. Which is why Paul says in verses 79, you're not the finished article yet. You're still only a building site that God has loads of work to do on. But one day, when Jesus returns, he will finally get the sin out of you completely and he will finish the work. And you'll be magnificent. That's a great antidote to despair, isn't it? But it's also a great antidote to pride too. Because if we don't see how all that we are and all that we have and all that we one day will be is because of Christ, then we'll be like the Corinthians, full of life, full of gifts, full of knowledge, but then also full of ourselves, very pleased with ourselves. And ultimately, we will end up worshiping ourselves and following ourselves rather than Christ. Which is why Paul finally weighs in on the first problem in the church at Corinth by saying, so no more boasting about men. No more boasting about people. Do you see it? As verses 10 to 17 lift the lid on a church situation where people are uniting around leaders, not Christ. Verse 12, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulus, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Now, the New Testament makes it clear that there are times when we should separate ourselves from false leaders because of their teaching or the way they're living. But here, the issue was about style, not substance. You can almost imagine it, can't you? Some prefer Paul's weighty theological teaching, while others were much more impressed with Apollos' powerful speaking gifts, while others, they warmed more to Cephas, who is basically the apostle uh, Peter, uh, because he was more human and more authentic in his leadership style. And then there's others, this other group, who made themselves sound a little bit above it all. We follow Christ. But the commentary suggests that really what they were all about was just throwing away the traditions and doing things differently. And they certainly weren't helping by their holier-than-thou attitude. And Paul is so horrified. <laughs> he goes for shock tactics in verse 13. Is Christ divided? <laughs> Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? In other words, just who is God in this church? Did I die for your sins to become your savior? And when you were baptized, were you by doing that, saying that I was your Lord and that you're going to follow me for the rest of your life? Folks, we really need to be aware of the danger of hero worship, of setting people above their position. We need to be aware of the danger of so valuing certain preachers or authors that we'll only really listen to them and not expect God to speak to us through other less gifted or engaging Servants of his word. 
And we need to beware the danger of overemphasizing certain leaders' ministries or ideas. As if God works more powerfully through one program or one idea than another. And if you are involved in leadership of the church, beware the danger of so valuing your own performance or wisdom that you neglect your own soul in doing so. You come to really do it for the appreciation of others rather than the calling of God. Paul says, don't put me or anyone else on the pedestal that belongs to Jesus alone. (laughs) And don't push Jesus out of the church, out of the bed. Instead, remember that all that you are and all that you have and all that you one day will be is because of Christ. We need Christ and him alone. So let me pray for us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that we might be a church that clings to Christ. Please forgive us for all the times we've been tempted to follow or even worship certain people instead of him. Help us to see Jesus and our desperate need of him, that we would cling to him, delight in him, trust in him, and call on him. Because all we have is Christ. All we are is Christ. All that we one day will be is Christ. So in his name we pray. Amen.